and welcome to today's episode with Katie Edmonds. Katie is a certified nutritional therapist and a paleo autoimmune protocol certified coach. She founded Heal Endo, a diet and lifestyle approach to aid the body in healing from the worst symptoms of endometriosis. Katie wrote a 100-page evidence-based book on the dreaded endobelly and has also authored the four-week endometriosis meal plan. If you have battled with endo for years or are newly diagnosed, this may be the holistic lifestyle approach to endo you have been missing. It's based on a whole foods, whole movement, and whole lifestyle approach to reclaiming your life. In order to combat something as chronic and debilitating as endometriosis, Katie teaches us how to address the foundations of our lives, focusing on five main pillars, nutrition, movement, detoxification, connection, and learning. You may be missing one, two, or all of them from your life, but as you start filling in the empty voids, your body will respond by beginning to heal itself from the inside out. So I'm excited to speak to Katie today and be reminded of ways to continue to help my body heal and fight endo. Remember that I am not a healthcare professional. So whatever I share on this podcast is to inspire and empower you to take control of your health and your bodies. Please always speak to a healthcare professional before making any major changes to your diet or lifestyle. With that said, let's get right to it. how are you doing very fine thank you how are you nice to meet you (laughs) same really nice to meet you so i'd like to really know more about you tell me about yourself and what you do and how you got to this point Mm -hmm. yeah so um my name is katie edmonds Uh, i'm a nutritional therapist and i was diagnosed with endo in uh 2006 i think it seems like so long ago now and uh I had the same battle. Um, my diagnosis came really fast, which was really cool. I live on a super small island, so I think our doctors see a real wide variety of diseases. Okay. Um, so they were like, okay, this sounds like it's an endometriosis issue. Wow. So I was diagnosed pretty quickly, but I feel like I took this terrible turn for the worse after my diagnosis because I just didn't respond well to the birth control. Um, my pain was pretty chronic. It wasn't um, like just at my period by any means. And that's why I at first didn't even think I had endometriosis. But um, I ended up just like swallowing painkillers like vitamins, which is terrible. And my doctor didn't tell me to do otherwise, but I was taking so much ibuprofen. It was just ridiculous. And I totally destroyed my gut. I, I developed chronic fatigue. My hair was like snapping off. I was underweight. It was all these things. And that's what led me to the point that I mentioned earlier, the anger, like, ugh. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was actually my fertility journey that set me off. Like there's a new path. And I think um, it's also, like I say, my best clients who come to me are the ones who are after fertility because they will do anything to have the baby. Like <laughs> yeah. when you kill yourself and you can go down all these different channels, but all of a sudden when you want to have a baby to anyone out there who's like trying to get pregnant or if you're not there yet, like sometimes just, you know, a switch flips and you're like, I'm ready now. Yeah. Um, that was my moment. And I found all these alternative routes that I had never looked at before. Mm-hmm. Um, following that route actually led my endometriosis to start disappearing, which was, a, you know, it was like a side effect of being this new type of healthy that I had discovered, protecting my peace, doing the nutritional therapy, doing different types of movements that I was different, so different than exercise. 
Um, and when my endometriosis started going away, this is after two poorly done surgeries, and I, um, you know, I didn't think it was a possibility, you know, quote unquote, no cure. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I struck gold. I wanted to sing it from the rooftops, right? Like you can put endometriosis in remission. Yep. And now I, I use that, that remission word lightly because it's not for every woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like what level you can achieve of it. But um, that's how I got to where I am now, kind of, a, I guess, a synopsis of my history of I'm a nutritional therapist working with women um, worldwide um, via the computer. Um, we do nutritional therapy and, um, and a lot of health coaching as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a really extensive website, healendo.com, and that's where I started um, talking about my journey four years ago, and now it's a lot more, you know, professional, you say, like the fact check stuff, the published studies, you know. Um, I wrote an endobelly ebook, so it's a really comprehensive ebook on everything endometriosis and bloating, so dysbiosis okay. um, and beyond. And then I recently published a book, uh, the Four Week Endometriosis Diet Plan, that's available on Amazon. Amazing! That's a pretty interesting journey, and um, I think you're one of the lucky few, like you said earlier, that got a diagnosis very quickly. Absolutely. Yeah, because many of us <laughs> takes decades, and um, it I takes think- decades, and then the damage that becomes irreversible is like yeah. a definitely a possibility. Yeah. So, if we talk about the damage that is done by um, using painkillers and ibuprofen and all of that, I know that it causes a lot of gut issues. So, mm-hmm. what's the mechanism by which this happens, or why, or how does it happen, and how does it lead to gut dysbiosis? Like specifically those yeah. the pills that you're swallowing. Yeah. So you're yeah. Oh, I did. yes, exactly. Yeah, it's um, it's when I started to say like my slew of pharmaceuticals that I poured down my mouth to try to like cover up these symptoms. Well, they can all do different things. So, um, like birth control, it it um, it creates a, a little bit of malnutrition. It takes more nutrients uh, to process it through your body. So if you're not eating enough of those nutrients in the first place, and that can um, that extra malnutrition can cause some gut issues. Um, the, the NSAIDs specifically, so painkillers, they really damage the gut lining. And that's um, a kind of common thing that people talk about, but it may not um, come across, especially when you're taking so many. Mm-hmm. They, um, they can gut, damage the gut lining so much that you actually develop, um, well, in my case, severe gastritis. But that also means you're not producing enough hydrochloric acid. So your stomach is a very acidic organ. And when it digests food, like you swallow all this food and it's full of God knows what bacteria. So how your body sanitizes that and breaks it down into tiny little absorbable pieces is it throws battery acid on it. So um, your stomach needs to get almost two battery acid pH in order to digest it and have it sent to the small intestine. So if it's not doing this appropriately, you could imagine like a smoothie, right? A smoothie that hasn't been um, disinfected and ground down to absorbable amount. What happens if you put that in 98 degree warm, moist environment and let it sit for 24 to 48 hours? Like it putrefies. Yeah. Um, and putrefication in the gut should just never happen. Mm-hmm. By the time food reaches your large intestine, it should be um, at a fermentable stage. And fermentation is very different than putrefication and, and rotting. It's when you make sauerkraut and it's delicious on the counter. And when the sauerkraut goes wrong and it smells yeah. gross and it's yeah. slimy. You know, so so those are the types of patterns that lead to dysbiosis. So how can we um, deal with gut dysbiosis? What can we do? What can we eat to change or reverse that? Well, 
I think it's important to understand what gut dysbiosis is yeah. in order to, um, to see how to affect it because it can, it can be so many different things. Yeah. So a healthy gut microbiome, if we're going to talk about the gut microbiome, it's, um, it's, it's everything that lives basically from your mouth to your butt. Like that's just the straightforward. You have a lot in between. It's like a football field of tubage yeah. that's going down, right? You have a lot of different organs. So we often think bacteria, but it's beyond bacteria. There's viruses, there's fungi, um, there's yeasts, there's um, protozoa and archaea, like these really ancient organisms. Yeah. Then we have all these umbrella organisms. This is like saying um, like birds in the trees and like bacteria underwater. Like it's a huge variety. We have 500 to 1,000 different species. So this is, that's a huge amount of species. Think of your local zoo. I, I don't have a zoo here. Maybe like 50 animals in a zoo, 50 to 100 different, different species. So you have 500 to 1,000. Now we're talking populations. You have billions, billions and billions. So you have like the whole earth of an ecosystem within your, your gut. And this is why they used to call it, um, I think it was like the gut flora, but um, that's kind of an old, uh, it's been retired, that term. And it's the microbiome because it really is a biome. Like the flora would be, there's just plants, like there's just bacteria. And that's not the case. Like you have everything from the sky to the soil living in your intestinal tract. So that's like a healthy gut microbiome. Okay. So dysbiosis is a catch-all term saying um, something in the microbiome is out of balance. And that could be a place or it could be the entire thing. So when someone says, I have dysbiosis, it'd be like saying, I'm sick. You would probably ask, what type of sickness do you have? Um, so it'd be the same thing. Like, what type of dysbiosis do you have? Do you have dysbiosis of the stomach? Do you have H. pylori from chronic gastritis and low stomach acid? And I have this big H. pylori infection. Do you have um, a dysbiosis of the small intestine? Do you have it in a certain place of the small intestine? Do you have it in a pocket of the large intestine? Or do you have this sort of a dysbiotic episode all throughout your whole intestinal tract, right? So, yeah. um, so it's really not straightforward. We just know that dysbiosis is linked to endometriosis um, mm -hmm. from a few really cool studies. I, I, you know, there's actually more and more studies coming out on this. Okay. But um, does that help kind of like yes, explain? Yes, that really does help. Yeah, that explains it. So how do we know or test for gut dysbiosis to know which example we have it's hard it's hard for me to recommend going to a doctor you're definitely going to want to see a doctor depending on how bad your symptoms are and i guess the first thing to say is um you follow your symptoms so if someone comes yeah. to me with like really severe stomach pain we look to the stomach first there's really um prominent symptoms of certain type of bacterial overgrowth mm -hmm. um that you could then zone in there. So the best thing to do in my train of thought is a GI map stool test. And it's the most comprehensive stool test. So rather than guessing, because so many people who have um, something like endobelly where it's so severe, your gut blows up and you look like you're six months pregnant. And the first thing we think of when we're totally uneducated about exactly what the microbiome is and what dysbiosis is, we think it's a parasite. This was me. I was so naive. And I ended up taking, I was like, I have a parasite and candida, these two big yeah. words. And I'm just going to throw all yeah. the at it. Yeah. <laughs> Such crazy damage. So it's better to know what you have and then to be able to do a really targeted treatment for that thing. So there are certain types of dysbiosis you can, for your previous question, how can you eat to reverse it? Yeah. But then there's also certain types of dysbiosis that you actually need um, medical support, something mm -hmm. like SIBO, 
probably something like H. pylori. Um, there's certain type of uh, like inflammatory gut disorders that you can either do antibiotics or targeted antimicrobials. And it's really, really, really hard to eat your way out of it without those two things um, or one approach or the other. So that's where you actually need like medical or like a, a, um, a functional doctor help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, earlier you were speaking about the fact that lots of women, we just go online, social media, and we just absorb all of the information, whether sometimes whether it's correct or not. Yes. Um, so what would you say would be the right diet? I don't want to say diet, but mm-hmm. diet. <laughs> for I know. What's another word? I get like an yeah. eating approach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the right one, actually, eating approach. <laughs> yeah. For endometriosis. So the way I approach it, because the endometriosis is, um, it literally is incurable. And I hate that phrase because I think it puts a lot of walls on people's ability to heal, like mentally and physically. Mm -hmm. But when we see what contributes to endometriosis, there's a huge, huge, huge link to dysbiosis and endometriosis, both in growth, onset, and severity. So um, in, in general speak, the more dysbiosis you have, and then therefore the more leaky gut, the more inflamed, painful, or significant your endometriosis is gonna be. So that's how I approach endo is by working to create a healthy, robust gut microbiome. Mm -hmm. And you can do this um, pretty, I'm going to say pretty easily. It takes some shifts in the the taste buds, but they have, what they do is they have research of people who have significantly shifted their diets like radically and their, their microbiome shifted positively within three to four days. It didn't, you know, it's not, you're not getting like your ancient ancestors microbiome off the bat, but it just shows you can rebound quickly. So the big trains of thought I have is um, A, diversity, and that's going to be colors, uh, types of food. So, you know, when we get stuck in a keto zone or a vegan zone, we're cutting out huge swaths of food and nutrients that your microbiome needs to survive. So, um, So we eat across the rainbow of veggies. We eat across the rainbow of the animal. We're not just eating steak. We're eating also the organs. We're also eating tallow. Um, we eat across the rainbow of fats. So rather than just using that coconut oil that we hear is so good for us, you're eating yeah. butter, lard, ghee, coconut oil, palm oil, sustainably harvested palm oil, have to say yeah. that, um, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. You know, so these are the things you're going to have absolute diversity. Yeah. Um, quality fats are extraordinarily important. And there's a really enormous association with um, omega-3 fatty acids, so short chain fatty acids in your gut microbiome. So they've shown research of people who just increased omega-3s and had a resurgence of a healthy microbiome. Um, And that's, I mean, these studies are like people just staying eating the same diet and just taking some high quality fish oils. So when you imagine you start actually increasing like your sardines and your salmon and all of that, that can help immensely. Um, And then fiber. It's a it's one of those things you see on every website, you know, for balancing hormones to eat more fiber, like constipation, eat more fiber. Um, but the truth is our gut microbiomes feast on fiber. That's one of their biggest foods. They also, you know, take a lot of other things, but fiber is what ferments into, you know, they eat it and they ferment it. So the fermentation is the, the byproduct. Um, it, fiber comes from veggies and fruits and grains. Um, the thing that I, I recommend about fiber, or I guess about microbiome health, is you really want to lower, lessen um, starchy carbohydrate intake, okay. mostly in the form of processed foods. But then I do have women who come to me who have cut out processed foods, but they're eating tons of gluten-free grains and sugars and, you know, quote-unquote healthy sugars, fruits. 
So it's really limiting your carbohydrate intake in general. So you don't have to go keto or, you know, nuts with it, but, um, but so your fiber is mostly going to come from low carbohydrate veggies. What are your thoughts on, um, gluten-free, dairy-free, and, you know, one of the things that we endometriosis, um, ladies tend to yes. what do you what are your thoughts on all of those foods especially mm-hmm. gluten and dairy well especially gluten i would ask gluten if i was an endo dictator right and there's things like yeah. a mandate gluten would be gone from everyone's diet and it's no matter if they like think they react or they think they don't react they think they're eating gluten just fine yeah. um and maybe like one or two women out there are but if you have endometriosis you have a chronic inflammatory condition yeah. um and gluten has just been shown through so many studies it's really widely accepted in the chronic disease world that gluten can set so many things off so i get women who've come to me who have had tests that show that um they're not allergic to gluten mm-hmm. we only know there's only like two tests two types of immune reactivity tests available via technology so we can't test the other immune avenues that your body could be reacting to gluten yeah and then they have women who are diagnosed not they're they're not diagnosed celiac so they've been looked at and they're not celiac but they have exact celiac symptoms that they would be considered celiac so it's like what's the mechanism there um there was a study that looked at women that cut out gluten or women with endometriosis. And of all the participants, 80% of the women who, who cut out gluten said they experienced minimization in pain. Mm-hmm. So um, it wasn't my case. And for most of my clients come to me eating gluten already, but, um, but I just, I just think you should, you know, not touch it. You don't have to be celiac about it, but really getting it out of your diet is yeah. for me an important takeaway. Okay. For dairy, how, yeah. oh, go for it. Yeah, I was going to say, how about dairy? Yeah, dairy, I used to be so strict about dairy. Um, so dairy for many people is highly reactive. And um, first of all, it can be the type of dairy. So like cow industrial dairy, so highly processed cow's dairy, A1 casein, can be highly reactive for women with hormonal issues. Um, it can damage the gut lining. It can be an endocrine disruptor. So I recommend everyone remove that type of food from their life. Um, I especially, um, even for the healthy types of dairy, the ones that I consider healthy, I recommend all women remove them for at least one to three months before reintroducing because it's the same thing with gluten. You may think you're eat tolerating just fine, but you're really not at the end of the day. So, So definitely remove dairy short term and then start reintroducing with what I consider like the healthy options if you like something like dairy. So Butter and ghee to me are absolute health foods just because most of us don't get enough preformed vitamin A. And it's a really easy food in the West for us to get, you know, that's not like crickets or, you know, yeah. most people don't, don't eat liver. Um, yeah. So butter is a really awesome health food. Mm-hmm. Um, and then fermented foods. So like someone with your heritage of dark skin might not be able to tolerate um, lactose, like fresh raw milk, but you might be able to have something like a fermented dairy product or someone like me with a Euro, like a European ancestry, I actually can tolerate raw milk, raw dairy, dairy across the spectrum, as long as it's from like a, a healthy source. And I do notice a difference if I drink like store-bought milk or something. So for me, it's not cut and dry. And I don't think a lot of women out there are cut and dry. I know a lot of women love dairy. So, um, and some women might be able to do really well with like a goat or sheep dairy, yeah. Um, or like an A2 a cow, like a Holstein cow type of dairy, but not the A1 casein. 
And this is all, this is kind of a lot to throw out on a podcast. I think I just threw out a lot of terms, but I have a lot on my website. I don't know if you do show notes. You could. Yes. I do show notes. I'll link to it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, So now let's talk about the actual physical body and the effects of endometriosis on uh, muscle function and all of that. We make me want to ask about the diastasis recti. um, So tell me a bit about it and um, does endometriosis cause it? And um, what exactly is it? How can we heal it? And um, just everything about it. Everything. <laughs> well, first and foremost, let me tell you that I'm not a movement teacher or expert. So I'm like a, a self-taught okay. movement enthusiast. So I'm just like obsessed okay. with this stuff. But I just have to throw that out there. There's people that this is their life is diastasis recti, whereas mine is like endometriosis nutrition. So um, diastasis is the abnormal separation of like your your core musculature, and yeah. you have this little taffy membrane called the linea alba that goes from your sternum all the way down through your belly button and then down to your pelvis. And that's what connects your core. So when you think of someone who has like quote unquote ripped abs and they have that like line right there, like a slight line is totally normal. A deep, deep, deep line, that's something that would be akin to a diastasis recti. So it's, it used to be most common with pregnant women because there's so much pressure going forward. However, it's still, it's an abnormal separation. So even if you get a slight diastasis when you're pregnant, it should go back and heal after pregnancy. Yeah. Um, the problem is it's, um, it is a pressure issue, which is kind of hard to understand. So um, it means there's too much pressure inside your abdomen that is like a volcano trying to explode out. And what it does is it damages the tissue on the inside of your abdominal wall and it starts to, to separate that linea alba. So that's how you can get diastasis, which um, uh, you can test for in a certain way that if you, if you palpitate along the, the, the tummy, like while you're laying down and flexing your abdominal muscles, you can actually like dig deep in with your fingers. And that is basically your organs right there, right? Like the only thing separating your organs from the world is this core musculature in your skin. So suddenly you just have skin that's there. And Mm -hmm. this is the really common mommy tummy, you know, like a tummy that's just not bouncing back, even though women have lost the baby weight. That's really common. So in short, endometriosis, no, does not cause diastasis. However, there's a super strong association because of core dysfunction. So, um, Core dysfunction happens when your core musculature doesn't behave correctly. And women with endometriosis especially have pelvic floor dysfunction. Yeah. Um, whenever you have anything like chronic pain in the pelvic region, what do you do? You clench those muscles. Mm-hmm. So that chronic clenching can cause tightness, um, all sorts of weaknesses, imbalances. I mean, it's the bowl that holds all of your organs from your abdomen in, right? Like when you see a skeleton, there's a huge hole. Um, So your pelvic floor is what fills that hole. So when you have like a pelvic floor dysfunction, um, that contributes to core dysfunction. Um, To anyone who's listening to this is actually, I guess I could, did you do those core tests that I have people do for core dysfunction? I I think it's kind of a, a fun thing to do. So if anyone's listening to this sitting down, um, t- take a deep breath and imagine you have like a, a flower in front of you and now blow the flower petals off. Okay. Um, did your stomach just poof out or did it go in? So that was, yeah, I think you need, you need to put your, your hand on your stomach for this, of course. So you blow. Now if your stomach went in, that's totally normal. Air displaced out of your body. So your stomach should have gone in. 
Now, if your stomach poofed out, if it poofed out, that means air went into your stomach for some weird reason uh, when it should be moving out. Is your diaphragm incorrectly descended? That air poofing out of your stomach is not air. You do not have air in your stomach. You really don't. That, that was your organs pushing out. Your organs poof out right there. So yeah. the constant organ poofing out all day long um, for every breath, every time you sneeze, if you know, you're going to do that when you sneeze, when you cough, when you're getting up, when you're doing yoga, it carries with you throughout that all of these things can start to damage that lining. And now you have something like diastasis. Okay. Um, the other thing that can do it is chronic stomach sucking in. And us endo women are like the best yeah. in the world at sucking Definitely. in our stomach. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's retraining that. Yeah. Totally. And, you know, the chronic bloating in itself, like, oh, wow, I look six months pregnant. Well, what happens to pregnant women? They can get diastasis, you know, an incorrect pressure going on. So those things can all combine, depending on who you're in your situation, to getting a diastasis. But you can also have core dysfunction without diastasis. And that's why those core tests are really important to look at to say, like, is my core performing properly? Okay. And if we find that it's not performing properly, what are the, are there some, you know, exercises that you'd recommend? I know we're going away from nutrition, but, you know, <laughs> the whole body, body. It's the whole body. Absolutely. It's so yeah. cool. Um, Yes. So there's different ways to retrain it and it depends on your issue. So for all women across the board, I do recommend going to a pelvic floor physical therapist to just check in on your pelvic floor and see what's going on. Um, And they may say everything's fine and they may see you have like some serious issues. Um, I used to think a pelvic floor therapist was like uh, just for broken vaginas and this is not it at all. So um, it's a great time just to check in with the whole musculature of your pelvis. Um, That's the first place to start. They may or may not be able to look at core um, dysfunction depending on how trained they are in that. So Mm -hmm. there is a a methodology that I, I, back to my endo dictator world, if I could say (laughs) everyone had to do this one thing, it's called um, hypopressives. And it's, um, it's a, it's not huge. It's not a big like yoga. So you have to really go out of your way to find someone who can teach this. It's a type of breathing that retrains your diaphragm to lower and um and go up correctly in correct ways while not um while holding your pelvic floor up so when you breathe like your lower abdomen shouldn't be poofing in and out just like when we sneeze do all of that not when our organs are sitting on top so it retrains your body how to breathe correctly how to hold your body correctly and your ribs how to open and close which most of ours don't just because of atrophy they should (laughs) they really should (laughs) <laughs> um actually and if you're in london london is a really big hot spot for some hypopressive training i think right. there's a lot of instructors there but it can be hard to find so this but that's just one of my um favorite methodologies of, of retraining the pelvis and the diaphragm to behave normally okay well thank you so is there anything else that you would say we don't really pay attention to when it comes to you know, healing endometriosis, like you said, there's no cure, but, you know, put, putting endo into remission is the dream at this point. Yes. Um, yes. Are there, um, like, some ways or some approaches that you think people should probably focus on more um, mm-hmm. than people usually do? Yes, um, definitely. So back to dysbiosis, if, uh, if you have a pretty significant infection in your gut or dysbiosis, you really need to heal that yeah for the to help with the endometriosis so 
gut dysbiosis is linked to chronic disease across the board. It's basically assumed if you have cancer, autoimmune, or inflammatory condition, you yeah. have dysbiosis of some sort. And it's like having an open wound somewhere that your immune system has to keep attacking and keep down. Yeah. It causes the systemic inflammation. So getting rid of the dysbiosis, that's number one. Um, in order to absorb the nutrients, you need to make sure you, you're digesting your food properly and you don't have dysbiosis of the small intestine. Um, malnutrition is critically linked to endometriosis. We are, there's so many studies showing that we're deficient in so many key nutrients. And if you don't have those nutrients in your body, it literally can't function. If you think of um, nutrients like um, as battery packs to every chemical reaction that happens, and your body needs to do trillions of chemical reactions just sitting here breathing, right? Like your heart's yeah. still beating, your breathing, your, my hands are moving, I'm talking, like all of these things require chemical reaction. So yeah. if you don't have those nutrients, that's where the, that spoony theory comes in, the chronic fatigue. Like you can't yeah. move because you're so exhausted. Um, we need to like really do an infusion of nutrients there. So my tenants are um, gut health first and foremost, because that yeah. sets the stage for everything. You need to have proper gut function, uh, reversing malnutrition, correct movement patterns. So it's not about exercising or doing yoga unless you know that your core is functioning properly, you right. need to lift your uterus back up out of our pelvis. So many of us have like a, a uterus is squished down low. It's yeah. tipped. It's retroverted. We're told this is normal and it's not normal. What it is, is it's common. So yeah. many of us have this issue. We need to lift the uterus back up and back into place. Um, of course, it, you know, it depends on how bad your endometriosis is. There's lots of scar mm -hmm. tissue. This all contributes, but we need more, more blood in the pelvis, more movements, less sedentary lifestyle. Yeah. And when it comes to lifestyle, they have, I mean, it's everything from lack of sleep. Like if you're not sleeping enough, that can, can contribute to endometriosis, pain, inflammation, mm -hmm. um, stress. They, there's this study where they took these poor rats, they induced them with endometriosis. Yeah. <laughs> they That's throw cool. the rats into a stressful swim test. So these rats have to swim. There's no way out. So they're swimming, like stressing that they're going to die for 10 minutes. They mm -hmm. pull the rats out. Okay. The rats lived. But what did they find? That the endometriosis had not just um, increased like in inflammation, it actually spread. It spread the lesion. So this is a perfect mm -hmm. example of how if you're out there and you're living, you're not protecting your peace and the stressful life is taking over and the marriage issues are taking over. Like mm -hmm. I have this example that I give that I, before I realized how chronically stressed I was, I was doing things like washing the dishes, grinding away on the world, right? Like that that just line in my forehead, just so stressed. And I just, you know, once I woke up to that fact, what am I so stressed about? Like, what are you grinding away on? Like what problems yeah. can you address and what can you forget? But all of that does contribute to studies show just how bad your endometriosis is going to be. So this is the whole picture, right? Like yeah. one surgery well done is all great and fine. But if you're, these issues are still contributing to your lifestyle, like yeah. you're not going to be able to bounce back to normal the way you imagined. Mm. Wow. That's interesting. Poor yeah. <laughs> right. So I know it's so sad. These endometriosis studies are so necessary, yeah. but they only do endometriosis studies on animals. So it's just yeah. like really hard to swallow sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But we have that information so we can use it for our benefit. Yeah. Thank you. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. We will. <laughs> so you mentioned um, earlier that some of your clients are women who are trying for fertility mm -hmm. and um, many endometriosis um, women 
patients are really are also struggling with infertility so what are what's your advice for women like that when it comes to i know it's probably the same thing but is there any specific you know that could help them even more when it comes to fertility yeah and do you mean is this like beyond someone who actually has like physical impairments from the endometriosis like it's damaged their fallopian tubes so like someone who have them they're ovulating yeah yeah. Okay. So unexplained infertility is you're ovulating, you have clear fallopian tubes, you're menstruating, and you have maybe you know close to a normal cycle, but you're not getting pregnant. So this is what I call all systems are go, they're functioning, yeah. but you're not getting pregnant. So um, let me throw out there off the bat, because this is a really important thing. Men today are accounting for 40% of all infertility cases. So no matter what, have your husband's sperm tested. I don't care how bad your endo is. Get his sperm tested. <laughs> Get that out of the way. Secondly, (laughs) yeah, you have to. I mean, it's been so looked over for so long. And then with endometriosis, we always think this is my fault. Mm -hmm. Um, You're probably a big contributor, but but husband over there or whoever is, you know, he's an equal partner. Yes. So with, um, I can give I can give an overview and I can give some cool client examples. So let's go back to dysbiosis. (laughs) So. So something that was interesting they found with um, women with endometriosis in their menstrual blood, they had four to six times more pathogenic bacteria than someone without endometriosis. And what this shows is that the endometriosis from the, or I'm sorry, the, the, um, it, there's a stuff called LPS. It's basically what the, the protein that sheds from pathogenic bacteria in the gut it's leaking into the bloodstream. It's not going into the toilet. And that's how it's now in your bloodstream. It can colonize in the endometriosis itself and within the uterus. So if you have like a bunch of E. coli in your uterus, what does your body think? Even if you have like a, you know, a zygote, like an implanted egg or not implanted, just a fertilized egg, it's not going to want to implant the, you Mm -hmm. know, the, the endometrium lining is going to be inflamed, everything about that. And that's the same with the pelvis. Like to have a bunch of E. coli in your menstrual blood means you have a bunch of E. coli in your uterus and, um, a sick environment that's not helpful for fertility in any way. So that can be like a dysbiosis thing. Yeah. Um, I had one client who came to me with two recurrent, really devastating early miscarriages. And she, when we started working together, had terrible, terrible gut issues, really terrible. Um, so we really worked on that. And we worked together for maybe six months um, where we felt like her gut was fine. She had done, we did some significant fertility prep because when you have a gut infection like that for so long, you can easily yeah. have malnutrition. Yeah. Um, she was a bummed cause she wanted to get pregnant in her 30s. She ended up being 40 and her very first try she got pregnant and, um, yeah. she's due any day now. So this is like oh, there, for crazy. her, that was her root cause issue. Yeah. Um, okay. so then I have, um, one across the board is blood sugar dysregulation. And okay. that just means you're, it's, it's when you're, you have too much insulin in your body, blood sugar dysregulation, but it's okay. to understand it better. You would think like you're starving all the time. You have hypoglycemia. You get shaky. If you don't eat, you get hangry, yeah. you know, angry and hungry. These mm-hmm. are symptoms of blood sugar dysregulation. It basically means you're eating way too many carbohydrates and way too few fats. Um, fiber rich food and proteins. So it's a super easy switch to do. Um, it's not rocket science. (laughs) It's not going keto. It's literally, you know, it's just swap. So, um, so balancing blood sugar, I had another client and she actually has a guest blog on my post or, um, a guest post on my blog. 
she um she had stage four endo and adenomyosis she does both right like some people do and it's it's not the greatest (laughs) combination to have when you're aiming for fertility she'd been trying for two years with her husband when we started working together so the first thing i saw is wow her blood sugar is crazy right so let's do low-hanging fruit let's just start balancing the blood sugar and we'll see where we get and um Three months later, she was complaining of fatigue, like, oh, yeah, she's feeling so much better. She was walking. She was moving, feeling awesome, started feeling pretty lousy, and realized she was pregnant. Oh, um, oh. <laughs> and this is three months. So um, it, the cool thing about the, when you think of three months is it takes three months for an egg to come to fruition, to mature within your, your uh, ovaries. So your, the next time you ovulate, that egg is going to represent the health from three yeah. months ago. Yeah. So that's why it takes three months for both sperm and egg to mature for when yeah. they come together. Right. right. So for, I was thinking for her, it was three months later, she just got pregnant. Her body responded so well. That was her root cause. Now for other women, it's not that simple. Um, there's lots of things that can be going on from like significant endometriosis adhesions that are existing yeah. um, to a lot of women have had a, a lot of their ovaries removed. So their egg reserve is lower. Mm. Um, there's stress, chronic, chronic debilitating stress. And I mean, the clients that come to me that are doing everything perfect, like across the board, like they, they could be teaching this stuff. They're yeah. the ones I worry about the most because yeah. like, oh my gosh, this, this person used to be like me, this A-type go, go, go perfectionist person that, you know, um, they say when you have a kid, you realize like everything you planned is out the window. I say it starts with fertility for us with fertility troubles. Suddenly you have to think of, you know, this isn't going how I planned. (laughs) So let's, let's keep our head cool here. And, you know, sometimes people want to do more and more and more with fertility, especially with endometriosis. Like, well, I'm going to go to 50 different clinicians and all of a sudden their schedules are full. They're driving across town like yeah. every other day for, um, for investigative cycles, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah. sometimes it's just about letting go. Not mm-hmm. all, like you should know what's going on. You should see the specialist, but mm-hmm. um, so much of it is really being able to let go. Yeah. There's this, this uh, river here on Kauai called Lumahai and there's like a local joke if when someone gets pregnant is oh they must have been swimming in the Lumahai River. No. And when you take that, it's basically it's down the coast, like there's it's it feels like it's in the middle of nowhere. It's this pristine river that flows into the ocean on this big white sand beach. And there's it's kind of that thing of you have to create your own Lumahai River wherever you are. You have to yeah. protect your peace in that way that That's people it. who go on vacation after years of infertility, they can get pregnant. Or yeah. someone who battles with years of infertility and they, um, they adopt, they decide to adopt and they get pregnant. They get like pregnant. these things happen. Yeah. And so this is a root cause for some other people, right? There's, as a, again, there's all kinds of issues. For me, it was everything. And my fertility journey took three years. <laughs> but, um, you know, I got pregnant naturally after being recommended a hysterectomy and, okay. um, I had my baby naturally vaginally and he's just this incredibly healthy warrior child. So anything is possible, but where of course endometriosis does play a significant, um, you know, create significant barriers is how it can damage the organs. And that goes back to why diagnosis early on is so important is to really preserve that. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much, Katie. It's been awesome speaking to Katie today. I loved her vibrant energy and I hope you all learned a lot or at least were reminded of the things to do to help your body heal.
to learn more, there's a ton of information on Katie's website. You can go to www.healendo.com. Look over all the information at your own pace and incorporate baseline items as you feel comfortable. Remember, stress is an enormous contributor to this disease. So if you're feeling stressed at all, back off until you're ready to add one new change in your life at a time. Also keep in mind that you know your body better than anyone and it's beautifully unique. So what may work for others may not work for you and vice versa. Be open to change for the sake of progress. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, I would love to know. Send me comments or even a DM through my Instagram or my Facebook page. Share with your friends and subscribe to the podcast. If you also have any questions to ask or topics you would like me to discuss, feel free to shoot me an email on info at notdefinedbyendo.com. I love to hear from you all. All of this information is in the show notes. Until next time, my name is Teniela and remember, you are not defined by endo.